Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. After entering into the wintry world of Narnia, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy notice that this foreign land seems cold and dark and lonely. Lucy, the only one who's ever been to Narnia before, wanted to bring her siblings to meet Mr. Tumnus, only to discover that the evil queen had turned her friend into stone. Now, filled with fear, the four began to wander through the forest until they hear the sound of a twig breaking. Did you hear that? What's that? And from behind a tree, a small beaver appears. No, it's just a beaver. Shh, said the beaver. She will hear. Are you sons of Adam and daughters of Eve? Follow me, follow me. And so he takes the four children to his house. And there, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver give the children dinner, a warm cup of tea, and a nice fire to warm by. And Mr. Beaver mentions to his wife over dinner that the word in the forest is that Aslan is on the move. Who is Aslan, asked Susan. Aslan? You don't know who Aslan is? He is the king, the lord of the whole forest. He is here to settle the evil queen and to restore all of Narnia. He will save those who have been turned to stone by the evil queen, including your friend, Mr. Tumnus. Well, will the queen turn Aslan to stone too? Asked Edmund. Oh, no, my dear boy. She will barely be able to look Aslan in the eyes. You see, there is an old prophecy in Narnia that says wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Now the four children leaned in to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. When will we see him? Soon. I'm going to lead you to him. And little Lucy, with a nervous voice, asked, Is, uh, is he a man? Aslan? A man? Certainly not, child. He is the king of beasts. Aslan is a lion. He is the great lion. And then the children gasp with fear. And Susan asks, oh, a lion. Is he safe? 
Safe? Of course not. He isn't safe. But he's good, my child. He's good. Quick now. Aslan is on the move. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word, your scripture. And we ask that when we go through the story of Hezekiah, that we understand what is being written, that we interpret it into our lives today. And Father, I pray that if I say anything that isn't true, isn't from the gospel, then correct me here, now on this pulpit, now on this spot, and not let me say another word. And Father, may we all know when we leave today with, with clarity and certainty what you desire for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome to the third part of our series. Now, I want to just say up front, for whatever reason, something has decided to jump in the back of my throat. And so I'm, if you see me coughing or drinking the water, we're all along for the ride. All right. <clears throat> but we are joining, and right now we're in our third part of our series, Swords and Thrones. Now, you may have noticed already throughout the service, there's been kind of a, a battle theme. We've been going to battle, haven't we? We've been singing about it and marching along. And it's been kind of spread out throughout the service. Now, I could say that it's because we have added three fantastic individuals to our advisory council who are ready for battle. That's where you say, yeah. All right, yeah. All right, well, they're ready. Yeah, okay. But if you've been with us on this journey through the story of Hezekiah, you know that Hezekiah is getting ready for what is about to happen. Battle. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time in this series, we're, we're following King Hezekiah. He is the king of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Now, Hezekiah, according to scripture, was a good king. He was good. He is the king that, uh, that the scripture says has done right in the eyes of the Lord. He's righteous. The Lord has blessed him. He's, he's with him, Hezekiah. Now, since taking the throne, he, Hezekiah, has cleansed the temple of idol worship. He's got rid of all those idols. He removed the pagan gods that were placed there by the kings before him. He's removed all of those. And he has decided to end an alliance with Assyria that was started by his father. His father made an alliance with Assyria, and he has put it to the end, which, I may add, has caused some significant backlash. People have noticed, including the king of Assyria. So the Assyrian king has sent his top commander, if you were with us last week, the top commander to Jerusalem to see if he can get them to surrender peacefully. The commander tried every fear tactic that he had in his belts, assuring them that Assyria will win this battle if they go to war. You have no chance, Judah. No chance. But his efforts didn't work. And now, these two nations are preparing for battle. 
Now, the scripture says that when Hezekiah heard the news, when the officials came back to Hezekiah to report that they are preparing for battle, O king, so should we. When Hezekiah heard this, he immediately, it didn't say that he sat on it, he immediately tore his clothes. Well, that's an odd thing to do. When I don't usually do that in my office. When someone brings me some bad news, oh no, and I tore my clothes off. No, but the king tore his clothes. And then it said that he put on sackcloth. Just, just kind, of, kind of like a bag on, like a, just a, one, a onesie, if you will, over him. That he, that he tore this, the, the clothes of the, pre, of, the, of the king. Now, now, this tearing of clothes is a tradition that dates back to the time of Jacob. When his oldest son, Reuben, felt remorse, felt shame for selling his brother Joseph into slavery. And the scripture says that Reuben tore his clothes to show his father, to show his Lord that he was mourning and shameful for his act. And it just kind of stuck. So over the generations, it came to symbolize mourning, panic, distress. See, today we do this with our flag. We lower it half-mast or half-staff, or in times of distress, by the flag code. You flip it upside down, right? So we do everything through our flagpoles. But here, it was on you. You were the person. And so he has now, here, torn the clothes. But in addition, I want you to notice that in addition to tearing, he puts on sackcloth. Now, in other words, here's what he's done. He's this beautiful, kingly garment. He has ripped it to pieces and put on the clothing of a servant. He's put on the sackcloth. This is Hezekiah's humbling. He's humbling himself before the Lord. Now, the scripture says that when he, as soon as he tore his cloak, he went straight to the temple. He left his throne and went to the temple is where he was going. Now, this would mean that everyone, the entire, all the citizens of Judah would be witnessing and watching their king going through the streets of Judah and Jerusalem, going to the temple. They would see he is not dressed for the, something is wrong. Our king is in sackcloth. He is in mourning. They would have seen this. And, but, but, but Hezekiah doesn't, he doesn't care. He's humbling himself. I'm not the king. He is the king. And I'm going to speak to him now. And he goes to the temple. And so here now, the nation enters with their king into mourning. We're all about to die. This is the only thing it can mean. We're all about to die. Our king has given up. And so while they're in temple, while he was there, Hezekiah summons for his top officials, bring them to me, bring them to me. And he tells them all, he says, while I'm here with the Lord, while I'm here in the temple with, with the Lord, I want you to send this message to the prophet Isaiah. And he tells them. And so the officials left the temple and they went around looking everywhere for Isaiah. Where is this prophet? of it? And they finally found him. They went into Isaiah and they said, listen, oh prophet, King Hezekiah sends the following. My dear prophet, pray for Jerusalem. 
for destruction is surely coming our way. We are outnumbered in every possible way. The Assyrians' blasphemy against the Lord has been heard. Pray. Pray that the Lord will rebuke their nation for such words. Pray, for Jerusalem is the only city left standing against them now. And while the official, the, the scripture doesn't even say they left. They were still in the presence, saying the message to the prophet when Isaiah said, tell the king this. The Lord has heard your prayer. Do not be afraid. For I've heard the blasphemous things that they have said against me. Have faith, for I will do something that will bring great fear to the king of Assyria, that will cause him to withdraw and go home. And when he returns home, he will be greeted with the sword. Now, it's important to know. It's important to know that these words, the ones that Isaiah spoke back to the officials to go and tell the king, or tell, to tell Judah, to tell Hezekiah, these words are from the Lord, are against the king of Assyria personally. It's not against the Assyrian empire. It's against the king of Assyria personally. The king of Assyria will be struck with fear. He will retreat. He will be greeted with the sword. These are against him. Because the actions of this one man, the empire will suffer. It's a reminder that the actions of a leader never only affect themselves. Now, in the meantime... The scripture says that the Egyptian empire, the guys down south, of, you remember them from, our, from last week, that the Egyptian empire mobilized and they started their way up to Jerusalem to assist Hezekiah, their political ally. They were coming. We hear you're in distress, oh Judah. We're coming. We're coming. Now remember, this was a backup plan that Hezekiah made. When he first cut ties with Assyria, when he decided to stop paying the tribute, he wanted to have a backup plan. In case, uh, in case the Lord is out today, we're going to have an alliance with Egypt, just in case. And if you remember, Isaiah the prophet was totally against this. He was, he's spoken against Hezekiah. Do not do this. Do not put your faith into a pagan nation, but only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. And now, the scripture says here, at least when I read it, that the plan that man has made is coming together. Egypt is on the move. Now, it would appear the Middle East is a smaller group of uh, uh, geographical area than maybe we think. Because it didn't take long until Assyria heard that Egypt was coming. It also could be that the king himself had spies everywhere in Assyria, everywhere. And so word got back to the king saying, Egypt is coming. They're coming to assist Hezekiah. And when they received the word that they were coming to assist, the Assyrians tried to expedite. They tried to hurry along this capture of Jerusalem. 
And so they try to even more produce fear onto the city, onto Hezekiah. They, they, they want them to surrender before Egypt gets there. That's what they want. We want you to give up before they arrive. Now this time, the king tries a different tactic. My commander, that didn't work. Let's try this. And so the king of Assyria writes a message and sends it to King Hezekiah. O king of Judah, do not let your God deceive you that you will be spared from my hand. I remind you that I have conquered every nation and every God that has crossed my path. It's foolish to think that you will be the one that is delivered from my hands. Did the gods of Guzan, Haran, Rasef save their people? Where are all their kings now? They are all under my rule. This, Hezekiah, is your last chance. The Assyrian king isn't wrong. They have defeated every nation and every god that has battled against them. Judah is outnumbered, outsmarted, outgunned. And Hezekiah knew this. He knew this. But he also knew. He also knew that the king of Assyria had not met the God of Judah. The God that created the very land that he battles on today. The God that used Moses to free his people from the hand of Pharaoh. The God that used Joshua to march around Jericho. The God that led Gideon into battle with only 300 people. The God that, that took down Goliath with the sling of a shepherd boy. Hezekiah knows that if his God can do all of this, then the king of Assyria doesn't stand a chance. And Hezekiah, upon receiving this letter, reading the words from this king, he immediately went to, back to the temple, but this time with the letter in hand. He brought the letter with him. And, he, and the scripture says that he took the letter and he spread it out in the temple. He spread the whole letter out right there before the Lord. And he started to pray, O Lord God of Israel, I am nothing without you. The battle is already lost without you. O Lord, deliver us from his hand, not to show how great I am, but so that every kingdom on earth may know that you alone are God. And it says that while he was praying, Isaiah, the prophet, he went into Hezekiah. I have received a message from the Lord, O king. What does he say? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer. The king of Assyria will not enter into this city. I will defend and save it. I will do this for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. You see, 
the world. The world says that in order for you to win, you must live by the sword. That you have to live, fight, and die by the sword. But Hezekiah knew that his battle belonged on his knees. Humility is perhaps the greatest tool that a leader has. It is always, always seen by those under your influence. And it is always, my friends, my brothers and sisters, it is always honored by the Lord God. Scripture says that the Assyrian army decided to respond. And so they sent their entire army to surround Jerusalem all the way around. And it was an attempt to choke the city of all of its resources. It's the perfect military strategy. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. All they have to do is now just sit and wait. And so either they all die of starvation or, most likely, until they give up. Until the king Hezekiah has to take his proud self out of the gate and say, we give up. But as the sun went down, as Assyria's armies got into place, and as the sun went down, the people of Judah, they went to their beds, probably with no hope that tomorrow was not going to be a great day. But that night, while they were sleeping, an intruder entered the Assyrian camp. This other thing, an intruder, entered into the Assyrian camp outside of the gate. The men in the camp, were they were completely taken back by it. They, they, did, they really couldn't explain what they were seeing. They, they couldn't put into words what this thing was inside of their camp. It wasn't anything that they had seen from this earth or from any nation or any God or anything else up to this point. For what was in their camp was an angel of the Lord. O king of Assyria, the Lord God has a message for you. I have heard your insults and blasphemy. Whom do you think you have raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride to? I am the Holy One of Israel. You may have defeated other nations and their false gods. You may have more chariots, more horses, and more people. But you forget what separates the God of Israel from the rest. I was there when the earth was formed. I created its cornerstone. I was there when this land was promised to my people. I was there when you conquered the north. I was there when Hezekiah even cleansed the temple of your gods. And I am here now to say that you will not enter this city, declares the Lord. And right then, the scripture says that, it, that the angel immediately went to battle on behalf of God's people inside the city. That they went to battle that night. And throughout the entire night, the angel fought and fought 
embattled, embattled, showing Assyria why God is El Shaddai, the Almighty. And when morning came, when the sun rose, and Israel opened their eyes to what seemed hopeless, they opened the gate, and what they saw was a very defeated nation. The scripture says that the angel killed 185,000 men that night. And so the king of Assyria orders a retreat. It's time to go. So he orders a retreat, and when he returned home, not only does our scripture say, but Assyrian historical texts also say that his two sons welcomed him home with the sword, killing him and taking his throne. Now, I wonder, I wonder if, if after all of this, after walking out and seeing that the battle has been won, and all we did was sleep. We just went to bed like we normally do. And I wonder if after all of this, if Hezekiah went to the temple and, and asked, dear priest, would you oblige so kindly? Would you go and fetch the psalm? The one that's written by the sons of Korah. You know the one I'm talking about. Can you, can you go and bring me that psalm? I, I think I like to read it now here in the temple. Uh, absolutely, king, I'll, I'll be right back. And I can just see Hezekiah taking this psalm and opening it up. And there, in the, in the temple, reading, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble, Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar with foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The dissolutions he has brought on the earth, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. 
but God of Jacob is our fortress. That was written several hundred years before that night. We call it Psalm 46. The God of Moses, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Hezekiah is the same God still on the throne today. And this, my friends, this was not the last time that God came for his people. This wasn't the last battle that he fought. This is not the last time he showed his might. You see, you right now, me right now, may feel that the world is surrounding you. It would seem to me that over the last two or three years, the world has gotten louder. It has gotten, it's gotten a little bit more tougher, let's just say. It, has, it is, has surrounded us. You can't get away from it. That maybe Satan has you where he wants you. He, he wants you there, surrounded. And you're trying your best. You're trying your best to keep the faith, to trust in the Lord. But all you can see is this mighty, vast army surrounding you. You're fighting you're, you're, you're trying your best. You're, you're, you're starting to feel cut off and disconnected. You're feeling alone. You're fighting to keep your family together. You're fighting to pay the rent. You're fighting against addiction. You're fighting against your cancer. You're fighting against depression. You're fighting to just be seen. The battle is not ours. It's not ours. We must fight this battle the way Hezekiah did. We must, we have to take it to our knees. We have to. You see, while the evil one surrounds us, surrounds you and surrounds me, while he surrounds us with corruption and with anger, with division, with politics, with distractions, that while all of this is happening, while it's all happening, I want to tell you today that the Lord has already sent another messenger into the camp. And he's done so on behalf of his people. He's already sent another messenger into the camp. This time, though, this time, not as El Shaddai, but Emmanuel, God with us. This messenger didn't come into the camp with the roar of a lion, but with the meekness of a lamb. Instead of striking down those against the Lord, he allowed them he submitted to them to, to capture him, to beat him, and to mock him. And I know what it looks like. I know what it looked like when you woke up that next morning, opened the gates to see the surrounding army. And what you saw 
was God's messenger slain, lifeless, defeated. And though it appeared that the evil one had won this battle, that when you looked out there and said, he wasn't the one. Though it looked like it was done, the story wasn't over. As you see, the earth started to shake. The earth started to crack and move open. The scripture says that even the stones on the earth started to cry out in unison, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And when you return to see, what's all the commotion? What's going outside of the gates? When you go and look out there, you see something completely different. That God's messenger is no longer hanging lifeless, but he is now standing alive. He is alive. And not just for the sake of being alive, because he isn't defeated. He has defeated what was coming for you. Hell's army has been defeated. It's been defeated. All the things surrounding you have now fallen to him. And he's standing victorious, not as a lamb, but as the promised lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. My friends, Jesus is on the move. He's on the move. It's time to let go of your fears, of your hurts, of your worries. It's time to let go of the things that have a hold of you. The only way to win this battle is to do what Hezekiah did. Take it to your knees. The altars are open. And it's time to come meet the Lion of Judah. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.